you please join me as I pray? Father, we need your help, and we thank you that you're available to us. Here we are, your children, with your word open in front of us, wanting to hear from our Father. I pray that you would remind us of who we are. We're rehearsing our story together in this worship gathering, being reminded of who we are, being reminded of who you are. And I pray that particularly in these moments that this text would have its way with us and that wherever anyone feels weary today, everyone feels like they've come to the end of their rope, the end of their days, the end of their hope. God, would you provide confidence, comfort, and rest I believe that you intend to do that for us, and so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would take this scripture and apply it to our hearts such that we would be encouraged and restored. We bless you in advance for what you intend to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been in that moment recently where you're just trying to convince someone to to breathe with you. Just breathe. Everything's going to be okay. You know, it might be a, a, a scared child. Something has spooked them. Their heart's racing. It might be a friend who is talking about something and they just kind of feels like their blood pressure is going up as they're talking about it. They're talking faster and they're, you're going, okay, just breathe with me. Take a deep breath. Everything's going to be okay. Or in a more sober reality, it might be that you've, you've been at the end of days with someone, those last moments when it's becoming clear that their time here on earth is coming to an end. And it's that sense of, okay, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Look at me. Look in my eyes and take a deep breath with me. In the nose, out the mouth. I do a lot of this with my boys. Everything's going to be okay. In many ways, Daniel 10 through 12 is that. Everything's going to be okay. Daniel's been faithful. We've been on this journey with him. We call it flourishing far from home. He's 90 years old. It's been a long road. We were introduced to this chapter a couple, couple of weeks ago. We, we studied chapter 10. Michael did a beautiful job preaching that. And it initiated something that is going to be completed today. Chapters 10 through 12 are actually a single unit. It's kind of the final encounter between Daniel and the presence of God. It's the final installment in his prayer journal at the end of this book. And it's in this chapter that Daniel is beginning to realize that he has hoped for a long time that he's going to get to go back to Jerusalem. And he's not. He's not going to go back. He's too old to make the trip. The first wave of exiles have just been sent back and he's not with them. And as best we can tell, he has probably received word back that those that went back with high hopes of we're going to rebuild the temple and we're going to establish some of what God intended with Jerusalem. If we know this story from other places in the scriptures that when they got back, there was major headwinds and they very quickly gave up on that work. And so Daniel has probably heard that The people are back, but they're not even building the temple. That everything he's been hoping for and clinging to, begging and praying the promises of God back to him for 70 years, here he is at the end of his story going, really? Is this how this one ends? (laughs) And and we even read about it in chapter 10. He's, He's 
was gasping for breath in the presence of God. He was almost like a dead man. He'd been grieving and fasting for 21 days and praying and longing for God. And you'll remember at the end of that chapter, verse 18 and 19, we read this. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and he strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. You get the sense that Daniel is, is feeling the, the pressure and the sadness and kind of the hopelessness of the moment. And God, either himself through a pre-incarnate Christ or an angelic fi- figure that's been in the presence of God a great deal. We're not sure who this man is in chapter 10, but someone is issuing the comfort of God by leaning in and saying, breathe with me, look at me. Whew, Daniel, it's going to be okay. And I just want you to hear this morning that if you're weary and you feel like you've come to the end of your rope or you just feel exhausted and you're like, I don't know if I've got another one in the tank, that what we're going to get is a divine word to a weary exile that is going to provide comfort at the end of his days. And I believe that if we hear with the ears of faith that this divine word can and should provide hope and confidence for us even where we feel weary and worn thin and as he speaks to Daniel in chapters 11 and 12 he's going to he's going to prove it he's looking at him he's going breathe with me breathe with everything's going to be okay and then he slowly starts to prove it through chapters 11 and 12 and that's what I want us to kind of chart along with together we're not going to study all of chapter 11 It's 46 verses of very specific prophecy. I want to introduce you to it and explain what's happening there. And then we're going to see how it creates the context for what we step into in chapter 12. And we together are going to receive this comforting word for weary exiles that everything is, in fact, going to be okay. The first reason that we know this is true, that we can can breathe and we can know it's going to be okay, the first reason is this. Because he sees and he controls the mayhem. All of it. He sees and he controls the mayhem. Every last inch of it. Look at chapter 11, starting in verse 2. It says this. So this is just after he's touched Daniel. He's comforting him. And then he says, now let me tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. And a fourth is going to be richer than all of them. He's telling him about Xerxes, the kingdom of Persia. He's going to, there's going to be a great king. His name's going to be Xerxes. He's going to get kind of full of himself because he's going to be wealthier than all the, that came before him. He says when he's become strong through his riches, he's going to stir up against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king is going to arise who will rule with great dominion and do as he wills. This is Alexander the Great that has been mentioned several times in this book already. And it says, as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom's going to be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, not according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom's going to be plucked up and go to others besides these. So let me just set up. This, this is similar to some things we've experienced already in the book of Daniel, if you've been studying it with us. That Daniel has, on multiple occasions, by the inspiration of God, been able to explain some of the things that are coming. In chapter 2 and chapter 7, he laid out that there's going to be four great kingdoms that stretch from his time until the time of Jesus. 
And we know that that's Babylon and then the Medo-Persians and then Greece and then Rome. And so he's, he's told that story in chapter 2 and chapter 7. Then it's like he came back and he double-clicked on it in chapter 8. And he said, well, let's just talk about those middle two. So chapter 8, preached by, by Peter some time ago, was, was a clear picture of, okay, let's talk about Persia and Greece only, okay? Now you get to this chapter, and he's going to double-click again. He's going to go, well, now let's just talk about Greece. Xerxes and something going on with Persia briefly and then he moves on and from this point all the way through the end of Daniel 11 he's going to just be talking about the Grecian Empire the one that Alexander establishes but then very quickly gets broken into four parts in these different areas and then if we were to read the whole chapter what we would see is that he actually focuses in even further on just two of the four kingdoms the north and the south Syria and Egypt which flank Israel Here's Israel in the middle, Sirius to the north, Egypt's down here. And he is explaining to them, in essence, that for the next several hundred years, you're going to feel like a ping pong ball, and you're going to be getting bounced back and forth between north and south. That there's going to be two kingdoms. And you get the sense that here's Daniel at the end of his rope, breathing at 90, trying to, to cause his blood pressure to go back down. And God's going, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. I've got all of it under control. This kingdom's going to fall. This kingdom's going to come. There's going to be north and south. There's going to be a... And as he's comforting Daniel, he's actually comforting through Daniel all the faithful Israelites that are going to come for several centuries. Can you imagine the comfort that a text like this would provide for a community that feels like they are dealing with such arbitrary events? At one point in chapter 11, he even tells of like a, a marriage alliance that goes sideways and it causes the kingdoms to be in tension again. As best we can tell, is a woman named Bernice that came along that one of the kingdoms, they were trying to unite their kingdoms. Can you imagine the people of God feeling like the stability of our land and our lives is dependent upon Bernice's soap opera love story? There are going to be seasons over the next several hundred years where the people of God are going, what is happening? And God in this moment, as he's with Daniel at the end of his life, is going, listen, 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 breathe with me. I'm in control of all of it. This, in fact, is the most specific and extended future prophetic text in the whole Old Testament. Nowhere else does God so meticulously explain, okay, this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. It's like he's just flexing his muscle a little bit. God's like, let me... I could do this from now until kingdom come. I could tell you how it's all going to unfold because I have authority over all of it. I'm just going to let you in on a little bit, Daniel, so that you know, even in the midst of the mayhem, I'm overseeing your people. It reminds me this summer, our family went west together. And at one point we were in Colorado and my son that was just about to turn four at the time, Judah, and I were going to forge a river. In his mind, it was a raging river. Uh, he was very nervous about this endeavor. You know, the water is rushing by and there's big rocks all over. And so I held him in my arms and I stepped down into the water. He couldn't see the bottom, but what I knew was it was never going to get past my knees. And so I was slowly walking across and he's looking downriver and upriver and at all these rocks and the water's rushing all around and he's getting more and more worked up. His heart rate is going, <laughs> he starts to, starts to cry. And I go, buddy, look at me, look at me. My feet are planted, and I've got you. <laughs> I was like, in the nose, out the mouth. <sighs> Everything's okay. 
And in that point, what he saw was there's chaos all around, and it certainly was moving quickly. It had power, and in fact, it had way too much power for him. If I put the three-year-old down in that river, (laughs) but all he needed to know was that my feet were on the ground and I was holding him, right? What God is doing with Daniel is so tender in this moment. I used to read, you know, in chapter 10 when it says he touched him, (laughs) he touched him, and then he said, don't be afraid, have courage. I used to envision it like, here's this glorious creature, and I figured he probably just reached over and like touched him on the head, like, it's okay. Until I read these chapters and I realized, you know, I think he's holding him. He said he strengthened me. This is a 90-year-old man gasping at the end of his life, going, is this what it was all about, God? This character's touching him and providing him strength. And what he says is this, so much is going to happen. So much is going to unfold in your life. And it's going to feel really chaotic at times. And if it was up to you, it would sweep you away. But I've got you. (laughs) You see, these are divine words intended to provide comfort for a weary traveler. Because sometimes it feels like the river is raging, and if we're just looking at the river, we go, I can't do it. (laughs) But here's God whispering in Daniel's ear, listen, I'm over all the mayhem, all of it. And then he even speaks beyond just these 400 years that kind of from about 450 BC up until the time of Jesus, and he starts even speaking beyond it at the end of the chapter. I want you to see this, because he starts to speak about the end of days, We're going to pick up in verse 36, and I think what we're going to see is something we've already been introduced to in the book of Daniel. There's a leader named Antiochus Epiphanes that we know showed up on the historical scene in the 160s BC, and he really hated God's people. He did great harm. And from verse 21 to verse 35, it has been about Antiochus Epiphanes, but at verse 36, it starts to speak about him in a way where it's now looking over his head. And I just want you to feel this with me, that this is this picture where Antiochus, once again for us, he's already done this previously in the book, he's becoming a picture for us of the final great enemy against God, the one in the New Testament that's known as the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. And we realize that God in his tenderness to Daniel in these verses we're about to read is not just preparing the people of God for the first coming of Jesus, but he's preparing the the saints for the final coming of Jesus as well. And this is what he says. The king is going to do as he wills. He's going to exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He's going to speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He's going to prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He's going to pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall, pay, he shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He's saying this final leader is going to set himself up as of divine proportions over and against every other god. He's going to only honor the god of fortresses instead of these. This is like the god of might. His only god is the god of power, this final leader. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, precious stones and costly gifts. He's going to deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor and he will make them rulers over many and divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south is going to attack, 
But the king of the north will rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and ships. And he's going to come into countries and overflow and pass through. So he's painting this picture of the historic enemies of God and all of these others. He's saying this leader is going to come and he's going to swamp all of these leaders. He's going to be... uh, kind of gathering the power. It says in verse 1, he'll come into the glorious land. This is a picture of Jerusalem, God's country, as it were. He says he's going to come into the glorious land and tens of thousands will fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He's going to stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt is not going to escape. He's going to become the ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites. They're going to follow in his train. But news from the east and the north is going to alarm him. And he's going to go out with great fury to destroy and to devote many to destruction. It says last, he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. This is a picture of Armageddon. So you've got this leader that is proposed himself to be divine. He rules with power. He conquers all the enemies. He has mustered all the power. He hears that new enemies are coming and there's a final battle that is going to take place. And it paints this picture out in the plains of Megiddo. This is the battle of Armageddon. And then beautifully, even like we saw previously in chapter 7, we see that uh, ultimately his defeat is half a verse. After all this buildup for verses and verses and verses, it finally says this, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. So the picture is of a final leader, not just all of these leaders that Daniel is getting to see clearly, but what what God is saying is this. He is providing comfort for every weary traveler in all of history. Those leading up to the coming of Jesus the first time, those like us that are awaiting our king to come a second time. And what he is saying is, it is going to be mayhem. Don't be surprised. It's going to be mayhem. The river is going to be rushing all around you. But listen, I'm holding you. Look, look, look. Breathe with me. It's going to be okay because I am over all of the mayhem. You see, the first reason that God can provide comfort to weary travelers is that whatever is torpedoing their story and their particular generation doesn't have the last word. And we all could tell some stories, couldn't we? Where the chaotic rivers churn, we see it on a global scale, but it's also true on a personal scale. Some of you today come in feeling like, ah, the waters are rushing and this is not the way I thought my story was going to be told. God leans in and he touches and he holds. He says, look at me, breathe with me. I'm over the mayhem, all of it. But he doesn't stop there. It's not like a pie in the sky. I know it's going to be hard, but you're going to be fine. You're just going to sail right through. The second thing that he does is he speaks really honestly about what it's going to feel like in that churn. And this is the second thing he does with Daniel. It's so honest and so kind and so tender. I love the character of God. He's so good. He says, Daniel, breathe. It's going to be okay. He says, it will hurt, but not forever. Look at 12 verse 1 as he continues. He says, it's going to hurt, but not forever. At that time shall arise Michael, 
Michael's this archangel that fights specifically for Israel. We've been introduced to him previously in this book. And it says, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there will be a time of trouble such has never been since there was a nation until that time. But that, at that time, your people will be delivered and everyone's whose name shall be written, pardon me, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. You see, he's saying at, at the end, Daniel, what you need to know is that it is going to be trouble like no one has ever seen. In essence, he's saying, cheer up, the worst is ahead. Daniel's like, whoa, these 70 years have been hard. And I'm at the end of my rope. He's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's going to get worse. That word still applies. That's true. He loves us enough to look at us and go, listen, it's going to get worse. A time of trouble like you've never known. It's coming. A time of trouble like no one has ever known. And he says, but take heart, those whose names are written in the book of life that are written in the book. He's, he's actually speaking of something that we read about later on in the book of Revelation that when, when all of humanity is ushered to the throne of God, there's, there's two types of judgment that are taking place. One is the books are open and the books are a recording of every thought and action and deed that a person has done. And those that answer for the books, they're gonna have to stand before a holy God and give answer for every thought and every word and every action. But he says, but listen, there's good news in that moment because there's this other thing. There's the book, the singular book. It's the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is in there, the Lamb answers for you. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> oh. He says, there's good news if you're in the book. And so what he's telling him is he's telling him the truth. This is gonna hurt, but not forever. And, and Daniel, it's, it's as if he leans in and, and he paints this picture. There's this one that's standing over the waters. And then in verse 5, he says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there were two others that stood there, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank. So this, this man is, is kind of hovering over above the waters in all of his glory, whether it's the pre-incarnate Christ or this angel that's been in the presence of God. And now there's these two angels on either side of the bank. And Daniel's just there watching it all unfold. And it says, and someone said to the man, so perhaps one of the angels, we don't know, someone said, well, how long is it going to be to the end of these wonders? In a sense, what's just been said is it's going to be more trouble than you've ever known. So it seems like a reasonable question to be like, so how long are we talking? <laughs> You're telling me it's going to be really, really bad. How long? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So he says, time, times, half time, like three and a half times. And the power of the holy people is going to be shattered. Then you'll know. Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand. He's like, uh, three and a half times. I don't quite get it. So Daniel pipes up and he asks a question. This is the first question. He says, oh Lord, what's going to be the, come the outcome of these things? Another fair question. You get the sense that the announcement is, hey, there's going to be some real trouble. 
And then he goes on to say some other things and they come back to it. And they go, well, well how long? How long is it going to be? What's the outcome going to be? Can you help us understand the parameters of this trouble that you're talking about? And the word is this. Hey, go your way, Daniel. Go your way, for the words are shut up and they're sealed until the time of the end. Many are going to purify themselves. They're going to make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked, they're going to act wickedly. And none of the wicked are going to understand. But those who are wise, they will understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. This idea of the 1,290 days, it's almost like he's giving a more specific term. Okay, you're trying to make sense of three and a half times. Let me say it a little more specifically, 1,290 days, which is about three and a half years. So the word is the pain, the trouble that's going to break the power of the holy ones is going to be bounded. It's going to be 1,290 days. Some would see this quite literally, and that's very possible, that at the end, when the Antichrist musters his power, the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years of the great intensity between the people of God and the enemies of God, some would see it that halfway through that time, when the Antichrist has mustered all his power, that he's going to set himself up in some sort of temple if the temple is back up and running, that he goes into the Holy of Holies perhaps, and he sets himself up as this, this enemy of God, this one that is declaring, I am the one that has divine authority. And that, that sets the clock ticking for the last three and a half years. That's possible. I'm not certain that that's the case. I think at minimum, if, maybe that's possible. I think at minimum what we need to stack our hands on is this. That God is looking at his people and what he's saying is this. He's been speaking in numbers of completion. 70 years of exile. 70 times 7 until things are complete. And then he even says 7 times 7 for the first wave. He's speaking in terms of 7s over and over and over. But when he gets to the suffering of the holy ones, he says half that. I'm going to bound it. It's not going to be brought to its completion. It will not cross the bounds that I have set on it. Listen, I see you. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's going to shatter your power. It's going to take you to the end of yourself, but it's bounded. Over Thanksgiving, uh, I was together with my family in East Texas. My parents lived there two blocks from the sandlot where they met when they were 10 years old. And, and my mom was in her front yard and she slipped and uh, she hit the ground and she started yelling in a way where you're like, oh, I don't think that's just like a normal slip. So I went running across the yard and I got down next to her and I held her and she was just groaning, going, oh, oh. And I was holding her and so her torso and her head are here and her legs are down behind me where she can't see. And she said, is it bad? Is it bad? And I turned and I looked and her leg was upside down and backwards. So I looked and I looked back at her. <laughs> Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> but it's going to be okay. It's like, look at me, breathe with me. She started to calm down. She said, okay, okay. We waited there until we finally had help to get her to the hospital, get the help she needed. As only a mom can do as I'm sitting there and I'm holding her, she started to squeeze my arm and she said, this is precious. I'm so glad you're with me. <laughs> I'm like, only a mom, man. She's something else. 
But it's that moment, right, like when I look down and look back at her, there's a decision to be made. And I love that God, in his, in his honesty with us, he's not sugarcoating it, and he doesn't ever give you false hope. His hope is not false. And what he's saying to you is, this is going to hurt. Listen to me, Christian. If you have been ransomed by the good news of Jesus, if the grace of Jesus has dawned on your soul and you've looked back at him and said, I want to live for your glory in this broken world, which I hope you have. It's my longing for every person in this room that you would live fully alive, which the fully alive life is the one that says, I'm living for your glory and yours alone. But listen, if you make that proclamation, rest assured, it's going to hurt. It will take you to the end of yourself. And God has been honest that that's the case. It's bounded. It won't overflow the boundaries that he has set, but it will rage all around you. And he leans in and he says, breathe with me. It's going to be okay. I'm over the chaos. And even though it hurts, it's not going to last forever. And then he issues one final word to encourage the weary traveler. He says, Daniel, breathe with me. It's going to be okay. You're going to live. You're going to shine. And you're going to rest. Watch him say it with me. Verse 2 and 3, look at it. He says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth are going to wake up, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And he says, Those who are wise are going to shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel is wasted. He's done. <laughs> I love that. The Old Testament doesn't say much about resurrection. It's like God's beautiful secret that's unlocked by Jesus ripping open the grave. <laughs> like if you just read this, the, the Old Testament straight through, you don't get much about resurrection. But I love the heart of God. He's with Daniel in this moment where Daniel is at the end of himself and it's like he's holding him. He's going, look at me, breathe with me. And then it's like he leans down and he whispers this glorious secret in his ear. He goes, resurrection. Daniel, death doesn't tell your story. The dust does not get the last word. Resurrection, Daniel, you're gonna live. And then did you hear it? He says, the wise... And those that have turned many to righteousness are going to shine like the stars in the heavens. It's as if he's going, Daniel, wise evangelists like yourself, they're going to, they're going to shine brightly with my glory forever. The dust doesn't tell your story. Resurrection. And I would be amiss if I didn't also make it abundantly clear that the resurrection is only good news for some. Did you hear it? He says they will be resurrected, some to life some to everlasting shame and contempt. 
depends if you're in the books or in the book. Friend, run to Jesus. He says, Daniel, you will live and you will shine. And then he comes to the conclusion in verse 12 and 13, and this is what he says. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. <laughs> what an enigmatic term. Like he's, he's bounded it, he's made it clear. It's 1,290 days, about three and a half years. And he goes, but the blessing is for the one that arrives at 1,335 I'm not certain what's going on, but I think at minimum what we can say is this, that glory for the Christian is on the other side of suffering. He's going, it's not, not just get to the 1290, but then let's just, that other month and a half, you know, the 45 days, it's, it's going to feel like I made it to the end of the suffering. The hope of the, the saints feels like it's been shattered, and he's like, hold on. In 45 days, give it a little more time. Listen, blessings for those that stay with me through all the suffering stay with me because there's blessing at the other end and this is the blessing that he declares he says oh this was good news for the ears of 90 year old daniel gasping for breath he says go your way till the end daniel you're gonna rest and then you're going to stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. What a way to end this book. I so badly want you to hear this truth. Not with your ears, but like in the depths of your soul, I want you to hear this. There's a greater exile even than Daniel. And he threw himself into the rivers of chaos that is this world. And he endured. He lived like a homeless man. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was treated cruelly. He suffered. And it hurt. He breathed his last on the cross of Calvary. But three days later, he was resurrected to glory. Interestingly, it was about 45 days when all was said and done between the time he went into the grave and then he went to the right hand of the Father. And as he took his seat, breathing, fully alive, what you need to know is there's a Nazarene and he's on the throne. He's got blood pumping through his vein and he's got oxygen in his lungs and everything is under his feet, including death. Every enemy of your soul is under his feet and he's looking at you and he's going, breathe with me. It's going to be okay.